When you go to plant any kind of seed, one of the first questions you ask, a question you have to ask, is what kind of soil am I planting this in? And if you've got great soil, chances are you're going to get a decent harvest. If you've got bad soil, you're in rough shape, no matter how good the seed is you put in it. So you always ask the question, what kind of soil, what kind of ground am I sowing this seed into? question comes to us, when God goes to plant His Word into our lives, what kind of soil are we? And Jesus describes some soils in one of His parables called the parable of the sower. Just a moment, I'm going to ask you to journey with me to Israel to an area where they think this parable, along with about ten other parables, was given. It's in a cove called the Cove of the Sower. I'll get it out in a minute. And just transport yourself back there that day to when Jesus asked the question, what kind of soil are you and I? We know Jesus did a lot of teaching on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. There's that triangle up here on the north between three cities where he did 80% of his ministry. Now, where would we go from here to see some of those places? Well, we want to go down to the Cove of the Sower. This is where he pushed off into the water just a little ways so he could speak to the people on the hillside. Well, I think this is right. You can correct me. You have never led a tour group down to the Cove of the Sower. No. And why is that? It's almost impossible to get to. Okay. So, it was amazing to go to. It was a lot of work. It was worth the work. But the average person coming to Israel is not going to make that stop. No. From the place that we found to park that we could access it, it was probably 45 minutes hike. Over rocks. It was very difficult to get there. Jeremy, we've come to the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, and as you can tell, there's a natural cove here in the shoreline just behind us. In the mid-1980s, there was a drought in this area, and the water level dropped and exposed a number of harbors around the Sea of Galilee. We know from Luke chapter 5 that one of the times Jesus was coming along this side of the sea, there were a lot of people crowding around him trying to hear him. And when he got to some spot around here, he got into a boat with Peter and pushed back from the shore and spoke up to the people that were still on the land. Now, standing here in this cove, you can turn around and see it forms kind of a natural amphitheater. And it's really easy to imagine Jesus, this is his stage as he turns and faces the people and speaks up to them. Many people have questioned whether or not Jesus could actually be heard by a large group of people if he's a few feet off the shoreline. Let's do an experiment. Let me go up the hill a little ways. When I get up there, I want you to read the parable of the sower in a natural but loud speaking voice. And let me see if I can hear it. Sounds good. Okay, Jeremy, I'm in position. Go ahead and read that passage and let me see if I can hear you. All right, I'm gonna read from Matthew 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. The instant he started talking, I thought for a second he was still using the intercom. I could hear him perfectly. No doubt, if I was twice as far away, I could have heard him easily. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. 
But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. The parable of the sower really marked the beginning of Jesus using parables in his ministry. That, that one really paved the way, and you finally get to the end of the parable when Jesus has this invitation, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Explaining even to his disciples afterwards, who didn't get the parable, that we need to make sure that we're paying attention and allowing Jesus to teach us what he wants to teach us, and that we're going to hear and allow his word to go deep into our lives. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. As I mentioned earlier, this is the first of a series of ten parables that Jesus gives in this section. We believe he is about 30 years old when he is teaching here. It is the second year of his public ministry. He was in the midst of an extremely busy day. And he gives the parable that has just been read. Then he gives some explanation as to what the purpose of a parable is. And then he moves to give an explanation as to what he has just taught. So we're going to join the explanation uh, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, beginning with verse 18. We're going to skip over to verse 18 and look at what, how Jesus explains this parable. Here are then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom... And does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. For what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another case sixty, and in another thirty. Now my sermon outline is contained in your Rocky Mountain Connections. I invite you to follow along with me. There are some key terms that Jesus uses here, and in order to understand this parable, it is key to understand the terms that he refers to. First of all, we have a sower who is sowing seed. So what is the seed that he is referring to here? The seed that he uses here is good seed, and it proves that it is quite powerful seed. In fact, if it goes into good soil, it has the capacity to produce as much as a hundredfold, which in those days would have been considered a tremendous amount of production. Even 30% would have been considered great. And so it's got, the seed is good, and it's powerful, and the seed is the Word of God, and specifically the gospel, the good news about the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the seed he's referring to here, he says, is the Word of the kingdom. It is God's Word. 
Now, he says that a sower is sowing the seed. Interestingly enough, Jesus does not specifically identify here who the sower is. He doesn't say, I am the sower or you are the sower. He just says a sower went out to sow seed. So who is the sower? Jesus, I believe, intentionally leaves it ambiguous here. In this particular case and in the public ministry that he was carrying out at that time, he was the sower. He was going places, sowing the word of God, spreading the word wherever he went. The disciples that he was speaking to would someday be the sowers themselves. They would go out spreading the word. So whenever we go out and we share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ with people, we are sowing the seed of the word of God. Whenever we teach the word of God and share God's word, we are sowing the seed of the word of God. And always be remembered that the power of the message is not primarily in the messenger. It is in the power of the message itself. It is not in who we are, it is rather in the power of the seed itself. That seed had tremendous power in it regardless of who was sowing the seed because the power was within the seed. So many times we look inside ourselves and we tend to say, well, I don't have this gift, that ability, etc., etc. Lord, why do you want to take me and use me in this particular capacity? And what the Lord is trying to say is your faith doesn't need to be in yourself. Your faith needs to be in the seed. The seed of my word is where the power is. So don't worry about you. Worry rather about the power of the seed and have confidence in the power of the seed. Now, he uses two other terms here repeatedly in this passage. He refers to those who hear. What does it mean to hear? He says that those who hear the word and understand it, and then he talks about people who hear the word and don't understand it, and people who don't hear. So what is this concept of hearing? To hear the word and to truly hear the word of God is to welcome the word, to enjoy the word of God, to allow the word of God to germinate in our lives. It is to ask the question every day, I wonder what God wants to say to me today. I wonder what God wants to say to me today. It is to move through my day and begin my day by asking the question, what does the Lord want to say to me today? And I'm excited about what he's got to say. I'm anxious to hear what he's got to say, even if not sometimes something that makes me particularly excited, if he's got to you know, point out something in my life that needs to change. But I am Asking myself the question, what does God want to say to me today? And I am receiving that. I'm training myself to listen to Jesus and what he wants to speak into my life. And I am seeing that hearing from him is an opportunity. It's not a chore. It's not something that I have to push myself through. To hear Jesus speak into my life every day through his word is an opportunity. Now, it says that, hey, hear, and then he uses the word understand. He's going to speak of some people that understand and some people that don't understand. What does it mean to hear his word and to understand? I don't believe it means that as soon as I hear the word, I instantly understand everything that God is saying, and, you know, I'm just good to go. If you look at the disciples and how they moved through a, what I call process of understanding, a lot of times Jesus would say things to them and they didn't grasp it all right at first. What did the disciples do? The process of understanding what Jesus was teaching is just that. It was a process. And it was a process where there was a lot of dialogue that went on. 
Jesus would teach, they would ask him questions. And they would begin this dialogue, this back and forth that would go on. The dialogue would be during the day. Sometimes the dialogue would stretch for several days. Sometimes the dialogue stretched for his whole public ministry. But there's this constant going back and forth between Jesus and the disciples. After Jesus had risen from the dead, Jesus prepares breakfast for them. And they come and they sit on the shoreline. And for hours, they dialogue with each other. I imagine if you and I had been able to eavesdrop on the conversation, what we would have heard Jesus doing is explaining everything that had happened over the last week, the crucifixion, the trial, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and explaining it to them. That dialogue is going on. So understanding what he's saying to us doesn't always happen instantaneously. Don't give up on the Lord in His Word if you and I don't understand it instantaneously. Rather, stay in the dialogue with Him. It is that idea that I want to understand, Lord. I'm going to keep asking questions. I'm going to keep probing. I'm not going to give up, and I'm not going to give out. I'm just going to keep asking and probing and working on this in my heart and in my mind, Lord, until I come to that place of understanding. The best things that we learn in life, we don't usually learn just like that. We have to work at it, etc., but in so doing, we get to the richness and the depth of what he wants to show us. Now, Jesus then moves on to give us some soils, and we're going to look at these soils that he talks about, and I'm going to name the soils. They're not named in the past, but just to help distinguish them. The first is what I call the path soil, and Jesus speaks about it in verse 4, and then he explains it in verse 19, the path soil. Now, the path soil is like this. Back in those days, they'd have these great big fields where they would plant stuff. You saw it in the, the video there. And if you noticed in the video, there were some tracks that were through the field where there were paths. The sowers would wear a bag around their necks, and they would reach down into those bags, and they would grab hold of seed, and they would throw the seed out to, for it to go all over the place. And some of the seed would invariably fall along the path. Now, the problem with the path is this. Everybody walked up and down those paths. The sowers walked, farmers walked up and down those paths after they had sowed the seed, when they went to cultivate, when they went to harvest, you name it. And year after year, those paths were walked over, and they got hard as all get out because of all the foot traffic going up and down those paths. So the, all the seed that fell on those paths just sat on those paths. Well, then the birds would come and have a feast off of that seed that was there. Now, some of you probably had the experience that my parents had when I was growing up. We had this small yard. I grew up in the city in Richmond, and we had this small yard, and we had sections of our yard that had beautiful lush grass, and we had sections of our yard that you could lay hands on it, you could pray over it, you could ask the angels to bless it. Uh, we poured seed on it, we put lime on it, we danced on it, I mean, you name it, and we could not get grass to grow up on those particular parts uh, of the yard. And we just, after a while, just gave up on trying to get grass to grow there. And I just, every spring we go through this ritual of raking up the ground and putting the seeds in and straw and the whole bit. And then the birds would just sit there and it was like dinner is served. And they would come there and just have a feast off of those uh, seeds we put in there. And my parents would about pull their hair out trying to get grass to grow out of that hard Ground. Well, that's the idea. Now, I want you to see something in this story. Jesus says that the seed is sown, when he gives the interpretation of it in verse 19, he says the seed is sown into the person's heart, but it just sits there. 
And then he says, just like the birds come and eat it up, even so he says Satan comes and snatches it away. Now, what causes that soil to become so hard? It's because people have walked over top of that soil over and over and over again. And we can become hard when life circumstances walk over us over and over and over again. This wasn't fair. I didn't ask for this. Why did this have to happen to me? It says in here that they don't understand the word. How many people, how many times have asked? I don't understand God. I don't understand where God is. I don't understand what God's up to. And we can become hardened to the Lord because of that. Sometimes we can get involved in sin and our desire for sin that hardens us to the touch of God and the voice of God and what He's doing. And this is the risk that we run when we allow ourselves, because life walks all over us, our people walk all over us, or we just harden ourselves to the voice of the Lord, when that happens in our lives and the surface of our life becomes so hard and God puts His promises, gives us His promises and gives us His Word and it just doesn't go anywhere, it doesn't germinate, it doesn't go down inside of us, it just sits there in our lives, Satan will come and he will steal the word away from us. The promises of God are right out in front of us, but we won't listen to them. We're too hardened to them. God's trying to say to us through his word what he wants to do in our lives, and we just don't receive it, and we won't listen to it, and we won't allow it to germinate into our lives. That's the idea, that hardened path. And we've all got to be careful because as we journey through life, there are going to be things that are going to happen to us that can harden our lives to the work of the promises and the teachings of Scripture, etc. And we have to make sure that our lives do not become hard. Notice second, verse 5 and verse 6. It's what I call the rocky ground soil. And Jesus explains this in verses 20 and 21. It's that soil, he says, that when the grass seed falls in there, when the seed of whatever falls in there, man, it springs up instantly, and people get excited and say, we are really going to have a harvest here. It comes up, it looks beautiful, and it lasts for a little bit. Then the sun hits it, or a bad storm comes by, and what happens to it? It's history. It's gone. How many of you have had that experience in a garden or in your yard? You threw the seed down, the seed comes up, you get all excited. I'm going to have the best looking lawn I have ever had. I'm going to have the best garden I've ever had. And for a week or two, you were so excited. And then the sun comes out, the temperature goes up, and all of a sudden those plants that looked like they were going to promise you everything just dribble up and they die on you and your beautiful garden looks like it goes up in smoke or in heat right in front of you. How many of us have had that experience happen? We used to have that in the yard. A little grass would come up and we'd think, ah, this year we're finally going to have grass in this part of the yard. And the temperature would hit 90, which it felt like it did every day in Richmond when I was growing up in the summer. And that stuff would just die just like that in front of us. What's the problem? Has no depth. Has no depth to it. Doesn't go down deep. And what Jesus is saying essentially is this. When we hear God's word and we have an emotional response to it, we get all excited about it. And I love this. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to follow the Lord. It's all emotion and all excitement, but there's no depth to it. Then it dies in us. How many people 
begin by saying, I'm going to serve the Lord, or they all come to a worship service, hear a particularly good sermon, or whatever, and they get all excited about serving the Lord, and they're going to do all kinds of things for the Lord. They'll come down the aisle, they'll join the church, they'll get baptized, and I mean, they are all about it. And then some trouble happens in their lives, or they get poked fun at for being a Christian, or life just does what it does, and it just gets boring, or it just grinds right on through, and they just get farther and farther and farther away from the Lord, and it all just withers up in their lives. And Jesus says that's because it didn't have any depth to begin with. And when this shriveling up proves that it didn't have any depth to begin with. You see, the issue is not how good I feel about hearing the Word of God. It's how far I'm willing to go with Jesus. How far I'm willing to go with Jesus proves how genuine I am and we are. I think part of what the Lord has been doing with the church, at least in America, over the last two and a half years, particularly through this pandemic, is causing us to see how deep we really are or how shallow we are. But how many folks have fallen away from church over the last two and a half, over the last year and a half? How many folks have, have walked away from the Lord? And we are also living in a culture now where the persecution is beginning to happen, where it's not too popular to be a follower of Jesus and stand up for him. Probably going to get worse before it gets better. That will prove to us how far it goes. You see, when Jesus looked at people, he didn't say, I want you to follow me, and you're going to feel good, and things are going to turn out for you good. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, the proof of following me, and what it means to follow me, is to take up your cross and follow me daily. Now, he was not talking about putting jewelry around our neck and, and looking good. What he meant by that was, you're going to suffer for me. You're going to be rejected. You're going to suffer for me. You're going to suffer with me. And Jesus is saying here that when we take up the cross, we're going to find out how genuine our faith is. How much depth we've got. And coming to Christ and knowing the Lord Jesus as our Savior is not about praying a nice prayer and even getting baptized and saying, man, I feel so good and I now I got my, you know, my insurance policy that I'm not going to hell, but I'm going to heaven and everything's going to be great. What he's saying here and what he's teaching here is that if we we're really serious about following the Lord Jesus, we're really going to walk with him, there's got to be the depth. And it is the suffering that forces the roots of our lives down into him. The easy way, he's saying, doesn't do that. And so what kind of, well, we are that rocky ground soil. Now next, Jesus moves in verses 7 and 22. He talks about in verse 7 what I call the thorn soil. And in verse 22, he gives an example of what he means by being thorn soil. The thorn soil is simply the seed is sown into good soil. There's nothing wrong here with the soil. It's not hard. It's not shallow. This particular soil has got depth to it. It's receptive to the seed. Seed goes into it. Seed permeates into it. The seed germinates. Everything looks like it's going great. You got good seed. You got good soil. There's one problem. There are thorns that are growing up around it. In fact, the idea here is that from the moment the seed begins to germinate and it begins to grow, that those thorns are growing at the same time the seed is growing. 
You remember seeing in the video what the thorns look like? They are not pleasant things to look like. They have some serious thorn bushes over in the Middle East, and those thorns are growing up. And Jesus identifies the thorns. He says it's the cares of this age and the deceitfulness of riches. And he says it literally grows up and it begins to choke the life out of what is growing. The cares of this age, worry, stress. What are the things that are choking the life out of us? Our desire to be liked and to be popular. Worrying about finances. Trying to keep up with the schedule. Living my life concerned that I'm not doing anything significant or being significant. Not measuring up. Regrets that I live with from my past. Some folks go through their life and they spend so much time and energy regretting who they've been, what they've done. They can never break free from the past. Resentment, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, a refusal to forgive, holding on to that stuff. Unresolved grief, losses that I've incurred in life that I just cannot seem to get over and get beyond. Comparing ourselves to other people. I mean, the list can go on and on and on. But those are the things we worry about. And they occupy our minds. And after a while, we're not receiving what God's got for us. And what God began growing in us begins to be choked out because we're becoming consumed with something else. We're becoming consumed with the worry. It's interesting the term that he uses there, the literal translation is the cares of the worries of this age. If I had to identify a characteristic of this age, it would be anger. There's more anger in our culture today than what I ever remember in my lifetime. People are ticked off about everything. It doesn't take much to figure out what they're angry about. They're more than willing to share it with you. And if you don't get enough anger in person, just get on the Internet. It's full of it uh, there. That's the care of the age. And what does all that anger do? It just chokes out what God's trying to show us, what God's teaching us, and what the Lord's doing in our lives, and what His Word, the anger can choke out His Word. He says the deceptiveness of riches is another thing it chokes out. What What does it mean for when the riches are deceptive? It's the false promises of what money and stuff is going to bring to our lives. Man, if I get enough money, I am going to be secure. If I get enough stuff... I'm going to be happy, I'm going to be satisfied, and I'm going to be at peace. How much does it take to bring us satisfaction and peace and happiness? How much does it take? Just a little bit more than what we got right now. Just a little bit more than what we got right now. Whatever we get, a little bit more. Holds out the promise it's going to do it for us. And it never does. It never does. And Jesus says the deceptiveness of that chokes it out. I always think that my peace and my satisfaction and my happiness is going to be found in having some more stuff. And when I get it, I think i got to get a little bit more. Do you realize how many people live with incredible debt? That is just choking the life out of their finances, out of their lives, out of their families. Everything's being controlled by the fear of debt and creditors, etc. Why do we get ourselves in so much debt? 
because we are convinced that if we get that, it will make us happy and satisfied. And what we end up with is misery trying to figure out how we're going to pay for it all. And the false promise is this. I think that thing that I'm going to chain myself in enslavement to debt for is going to bring me peace and satisfaction when in reality only Jesus can do that. You see, the, the, what he's trying to show us here is that in his word, which is the fabric and where we build a relationship with him, Jesus brings the satisfaction that the stuff can never bring. Jesus brings the satisfaction and the peace that the prominence that the stuff and the money we think is going to bring it, if we can get there, will never bring. Folks that have a growing, close relationship with Jesus are the people that you'll find who have the most peace in life and they are the least concerned about the stuff. Let me give you one other hint about stuff. If you want to see stuff and what it doesn't do, go down to the local garbage dump for the county here and stand there and watch what people are throwing into those bins. And whatever's being thrown into those bins was supposed to get it for them a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, six months ago, or whatever. And it didn't, so what do we do? We just dump it in there. Because the stuff doesn't get it. And that's what Jesus is trying to say here about the deceitfulness of riches. Now, he's going to move verse 8 and verse 23 to the good soil. He says that good soil is the soil that the Word of God goes into. It germinates in that soil, and it yields a crop. He says some people it's going to reel 30%, some people it's going to reel 70 etc. He says in some it will yield 100%. Now, what does it mean for the Word of God to germinate us and produce that in our lives? Well, first of all, how does that happen? It means we are sensitive to the Word of God. It means we receive His Word. We germ let it germinate. In other words, it becomes part of our thinking. It becomes part of who we are. We take on the characteristics of God's Word. We live under the authority of God's Word. We live in obedience to His Word. We are ready to receive the answers that He's got for us. So the idea here is that when I read the Word of God, hear the Word of God, I receive it into my life. And it becomes part of my thinking. It becomes part of who I am. I've said this to you so many times before. What does the Bible say about hearing truth? You shall hear the truth, and the truth's going to do what? It's going to set you free. And that's part of the way he liberates us is through his word. So I'm receiving the word. I'm ready for the word. I'm anxious for the word. And I'm even okay with God showing me things that I don't feel comfortable with, don't particularly care that he's saying to me, but I am eager to receive whatever he's going to say to me. Now, what does that word produce? When it talks about it produces a crop, a hundredfold, et cetera, et cetera, 30%, et cetera. What does that look like? We talked about how we receive it. Now, what does the seed look like? What does the word produce in our life? Let me give you several ideas. Number one, it's the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Over in Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, self-control, faithfulness. The Word of God produces the fruits of the Spirit in our lives. 
One of them in particular produces peace in us. It produces wholeness in us. Second, it produces humility in us. One of the fruits of the Spirit, one of the works here that is produced within us, that crop that's produced in us, is humility. Character is produced within us. In other words, it makes us like Jesus. When the Word is germinating in us, it becomes like Jesus. One of the questions, one of the tests that we need to put ourselves through, if the Word, we are allowing the Word to produce fruit in us, is am I becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me give you a test experience to use with this. I use this on myself. I don't always enjoy it. I look at who I am today, October the 24th. I have to ask myself this question. Am I more like Jesus today than I was on January the 24th of this year? Am I more like Jesus than I was a year ago on October the 24th? If I could answer that question, yes, then the fruit's being produced. If I have to answer that question, no, then the fruit's not being produced. And I have to ask myself the question, why isn't the fruit being produced in my life? Why am I not more like Jesus today than I was a year ago? Why am I not more like Jesus than I was six months ago? That's not saying we have these rapid changes in our lives, but it is saying that there should be fruit being produced and more of the work of the Holy Spirit should be produced in my life. The more of the fruits of the Spirit, I should have more self-control, more patience, more love, more peace than I did six months ago. Now, God will help you with that. Let's talk about the issue of self-control. How is God going to help you have self-control? He's going to put circumstances and allow circumstances in your life that you want to go all out of control. And you just want to lose it. And if you don't, He's showing you you're growing. And if we do lose it, He's showing me, man, I need to do some growing in that area. I need some fruit being produced in that area. So the Lord will allow some stuff to come into our lives to show us where we are in that process. Finally, when he talks about that fruit, more disciples. Is Jesus having opportunity to use my life to produce more disciples? Now, I've used a word there, and I used it intentionally. Is Jesus using me and working through me to produce disciples? Not decisions but disciples. There is a huge difference between decisions and disciples. Decisions are God uses me or I'm after people making decisions for Christ. Disciples is that God is using me to come alongside of people and help them find Christ, but then grow in their relationship with Jesus and become like Jesus. I tell you, from 30-some years of being a pastor, it is a lot easier to get decisions than to get disciples. Decisions are nice. People walk the aisle, they join the church, they get baptized. We can report it to the denomination. We can celebrate it. And it's wonderful having decisions. But when you get working in discipleship, that means you've got to come alongside people's lives. You've got to be patient with them. You've got to be in there day in and day out. You've got to see the ugly in their lives as well as the good in their lives. You've got to help them through tough things. You've got to pray with them. Discipling goes on for months and even years. Decisions go on for maybe minutes. It's a lot easier for a church to get decisions than it is to make disciples. 
Someone walks the aisle at the end of the service and joins our church and wants to be baptized, amen, hallelujah. We love that. But to come alongside that person and help them become like Christ and to role model what it means to be Christ and walk beside them for however long we got to walk beside them, that is a whole different ball game. That is tough. You'll shed some tears over those folks. You'll get frustrated. You'll get out of your mind. You will wonder if they ever will get it. You will begin to identify with Jesus when there's a verse of Scripture that says, and Jesus sighed. I call it the holy sigh. <laughs> you can imagine him standing there just shaking his head. Are these 12 guys ever going to get this? And when you think that they're never going to get it, remember that after three and a half years of the Son of God dis discipling them, I mean, you can't get any better than your discipler is Jesus. Your mentor is Jesus. I mean, you just cannot get any better than that. And after three and a half years of God, the Son, walking beside them, what happens? One of them denies him. One of them betrays him. And the rest of them, save John, go hide in an upper room somewhere and don't want to identify with him when he's being crucified. John's the only one who got it and made it to the cross. That's not a really good statistic. I had 12 and only one of them followed me to the cross. So when you get discouraged and say this isn't working and it's not happening, remember how it worked for Jesus. It wasn't all easy for him. And if you take 2 Timothy and if you read that carefully, it's at the end of Paul's life. And Paul's talking about people he worked with who betrayed him, who turned their back on him, who used him, etc., he didn't exactly go out saying, I got hundreds of disciples and everybody's falling right in place. He went out and started banging his head up against a brick wall. So this is not easy stuff that he is talking about here. When he says you get, he's saying you plant the word and the word will give you a harvest. But if any of you have ever worked a yard or a garden or a farm, it doesn't just happen. You sweat you have to put a lot of muscle tissue into it. It is not easy stuff to raise crops or even a garden. And that's what he's talking about. You're going to get a harvest, he says, but he never promised getting the harvest was going to be easy. He did promise that the seed would give a harvest. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, first of all, help us to ask the question, what kind of soil are we? Lord, are we allowing thorns to grow up inside of us and choke it, your word out? Lord, are we hard from what's happened to us in life and so Satan can just walk in there and take away the truth because we're just so hardened to you? Or Lord, are we allowing that seed to get in us? We are welcoming what you say to us. And Jesus, we are letting you grow us and develop us and work in us every day and wondering, what do you have to say to me today, Lord? What truth do you have for me today? And then God, help us as we go about the business, the messy, tough business, Lord, not of getting decisions, but of making disciples. That's what you called us to. Lord, encourage us. Because it wasn't an easy journey for you, it will not be for us. But Lord, it is worth the journey. And always remind us, God, that your word, that seed, is powerful. 
not because of whose hands it is in, but because of where it comes from. It comes from you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you were here or you were watching, we want to ask you if you've never given your life to Jesus right now to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to serve you. I want to walk with you. I want to be your disciple. This day, Lord, I will take up your cross and I will follow you. And if you're here today and you sense the Lord's moving in your life in any way, you want someone to pray with you or feel like the Lord's leading to our church family, we invite you to come as we sing in just a moment. Invite you, if you're listening to us, to, to get in contact with us so that we can, can help you out and pray with you. Jesus, we ask for your work in our lives. Thank you, Lord. Help us to join you in what you're doing as you sow your seed into us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.